Well, I am either brave or crazy to preach about this passage on Commitment Sunday, and I'll let you decide which one. Um, if you, uh, I don't know, if you're one of those people that uh, when you get into worship, I've known a few people like that, first thing they do is look up the scripture to see what the preacher's preaching on, and then they decide if they want to stay or not. No. no. This, this passage, part of it is what we read last week. Uh, part of it, though, is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are a couple who gives to God in the wrong way, and God strikes them dead. Now do you see why I might be crazy to preach about this on Commitment Sunday? My weird preacher brain, you know, has, does these things every now and then, and I thought to myself, well, look, if I'm going to preach about a story like that, I've got to find something to make it a little bit enjoyable. So my, my, my brain went, I wonder if there's a children's coloring page somewhere about Ananias and Sapphira, and there was, believe it or not. Um, and they got a nice little poem, and you notice how Ananias and Sapphira got their fingers crossed behind their back because they're lying to Peter. There's also a maze that helps Peter find Ananias and Sapphira. But my favorite, and you, I know you can't see this, is the word search about Ananias and Sapphira. It has such great words for little children to find, like abomination <laughs> and death. I, you know, I didn't try to do the crossword puzzle. But this story is challenging. But get just... There's good news, and uh, you know, Chris, there's another page, and that's pretty scary until I found the colored version. It's even scarier. Ananias and Sapphira's story is one, kind of a, one of those uh, examples, a negative example. You don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. When Luke wrote the book of Acts, he paired the story of Barnabas with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, in just a minute, he ends chapter 4 with a few sentences about Barnabas. Not that Barnabas. <sighs> My favorite show when I was in elementary school. Dark Shadows? Yeah, that's, that's Barnabas, Collins. Uh, he pairs a story about St. Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas that we read last week was called the son of encouragement. That was his nickname. He was Mr. Encouraging. And then Luke puts him right up next to the story of Ananias and Sapphira for a reason, and we'll see that in just one second. Here's where the story begins, and it's part of what we read last week. There were no needy persons among them, those who properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. That phrase is important because it gets repeated about three or four times in the next few verses, in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is the one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field sold it, brought the money, and what? 
placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. There's the second mention of that phrase. Now, in our brain, we stop at the end of chapter 4, and that's the end of chapter 4. And so we just sort of naturally go, okay, now I'm going to talk. But when Luke wrote this story, he didn't have chapter divisions. He didn't have those nice little verse numbers in there. It read like this. Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, the one who encouraged, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field, sold it, brought the money, and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. However, a man named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. The two stories connect without the chapter divisions. However, I'll tell you about this great guy Barnabas, but now let me tell you about these other two. With his wife's knowledge, he withheld some of the proceeds from the sale. He brought the rest, and look, he did the very same thing, placed it care and under the authority of the apostles. Peter asked, Ananias, how is it that Satan has influenced you to lie to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the proceeds from the sale of your land? Wasn't that property yours to keep after you sold it? Wasn't the money yours to do with whatever you wanted? What made you think of such a thing? You haven't lied to other people, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he dropped dead. Everyone who heard this conversation was terrified, and rightly so. <laughs> Some young men stood up, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. And then after that, his wife, Sapphira, comes in and does the same thing, and she dies too. This is a hard story to hear because I just think our, our, our thoughts automatically think, well, it was because of the, what they gave. It was because of the amount. No. There were some, Barnabas and Ananias had a lot in common. Think about it. If they're both coming to the apostles and placing their money in the care and under the authority of the apostle, the apostles, they're both believers in Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas, they both were members of the faith. They both had said Jesus Christ is our Messiah and we will follow. And they were brothers. They were brothers in the faith. All that holding things in common and eating with glad and generous hearts earlier in the book of Acts, they were around the table together, most likely. They were sharing. They were brothers in the faith. Both of them were wealthy enough to own a field, and both of them chose to sell it. Um, they weren't forced to. You notice that Peter said to Ananias, what made you think of such a thing? Wasn't that land yours? In, in some other translations, he, he, he says outright, you, you could have chosen not to sell that land. Neither were forced to do what they did. It was an expression of their commitment to the cause, their commitment to uh, what Luke very soon after this starts to call people of the way, people that followed Jesus. So they had a lot in common. 
And the, the difference uh, was not the amount that they gave. The big difference between the two guys was their honesty. You just think about it. Um, you know, we don't know how big the property was, okay? It could have been that Barnabas had a little bitty piece of property. And when he gave 100%, it was a smaller amount than Ananias and Sapphira might have had a bigger piece of property. And when they gave a portion, it was much bigger than Barnabas's. We don't know. The amount was not the issue. The amount that Peter points out and how he knew it, we're not sure. Was it Holy Spirit special knowledge? Maybe they lived closely together and he knew Ananias and Sapphira. He knew what they had. He knew how much property went for in those days. Whatever it was, he knew something was not right. And he calls Ananias out on his lying. His lying to God, not to Peter, is lying to God. There are, you know, time after time when Jesus talks about money, it's rarely the amount that he, that he talks about. The story about the widow's mite in Luke 21 when the rich people throw their gifts in the collection box and about it, throwing their coins in a collection box made a lot of noise. So everybody in the room probably knew how wealthy they were. Imagine if you take a handful of quarters and throw it in a wooden box. It's going to make a noise. But then the little widow comes in and, and drops in two pennies. And it wasn't the fact that she dropped in two pennies versus a whole handful of coins was the fact that she gave sincerely. She gave uh, out of her heart. Jesus says she gave everything she had to live on. From her hopeless poverty, she has given everything she has to live on. Uh, down the hall this morning, Belinda is telling a story about a friend of hers named Jody. Uh, Jody was a hospice patient of Belinda's when we lived in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Belinda was a chaplain for Hospice of West Alabama. Jody lived in a trailer in Utah, Alabama, and I, I went to see her with Belinda once, and all I remember is just sand and dirt. I mean, there was nothing. This just this trailer. Jody's cancer had taken her tongue, literally, and she could not speak. But Jody's handwriting. She wrote furiously. When you'd come to visit, Jody would write everything. How are you? How, you know, and so Belinda learned to, you know, write back. It was a very silent visit. Jody would write. Belinda would write. Jody would write. And she was kind, joyful, generous. We have a picture at home. I mean, it wasn't, a, she probably bought it at Dollar General. You know, it was this framed picture. It had a little blonde-headed girl that she thought looked like our daughter. So she just had to give it to Belinda. It's still at our house. When Jody died, she was all alone. Um, her, she didn't have any family. And as I said, you know, she lived in the middle of nowhere. Belinda went to the hospital, DCH hospital, and spent the night with her the night that she died. Right before she died, she said to Belinda, well, she didn't say, sorry. She handed Belinda an envelope that had the name of her pastor written on the envelope. And she communicated to Belinda, at my funeral, give this to my pastor. So Belinda did. At the funeral, 
she handed the envelope. She said, look, Jody, the last thing she did was I give this to you. They opened it up, and inside was $6. $6. Literally, the last breath of her life, she gave everything she had to her church. I mean, you talk about a widow's might. (laughs) That was a holy moment. Our job as Christians is to be like Jody, to be as committed and open and honest. There wasn't any kind of pretense like, oh, preacher, I'm sorry, I would give this much if I only could do. No, whatever she had, she gave. Barnabas, whatever he had, he gave. Ananias, not so much. You know, he could have said, Ananias, is this all you got for that land? Well, Peter, no. You know, we owed the carpenter some money down the street, and we had to pay a guy to do. So this is what, this is, this is what we got left. They didn't say that. Oh, yes, Peter, this is everything. That sincerity, that pretentious, that self-serving, oh, yes, Peter, this is everything. Boom. That's what got Ananias in trouble is his dishonesty. Generosity has always been a part of our spiritual growth. We have to learn to be generous. Um, It may not be uh, an official fruit of the Spirit on the list in the book of Galatians, but it's awful close. Here's Peter, I mean Paul, excuse me, talking to the Corinthians about generosity and his ministry with them. We display purity, knowledge, patience, and generosity. We serve with the Holy Spirit with genuine love. We told the truth, telling the truth in God's power. Later, he tells them about the Macedonians. They were taking up money for some of the uh, churches uh, that Paul visited. And the Macedonians, while they were being tested with many problems, their extra amount of happiness and their extreme poverty resulted in a surplus of generosity. We read that sentence and we think, what's wrong with those Macedonians? Beset by problems, they're happy but they're poor, and that resulted in a rich, a surplus of rich generosity. You know why? They exceeded our expectations because they gave themselves to the Lord first and to us consistent with God's will. They put the Lord first. They, remember, I've said it before, they found the purpose of their life that God was calling them to fulfill, and they did it. And even though they were beset by problems, even though they were poor, they still found the spiritual strength to be generous. Uh, You've also heard me quote from Bishop Snazy, who's written a book about five, um, five things of, I forget the title. (laughs) Five things a church ought to do. I don't know. (laughs) One of them is extravagant generosity. And it requires, listen to that, it is a fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. To be generous, you've got to have self-control, patience, kindness, faith, love of God, and neighbor. Those are the fruits of the Spirit, y'all, that Paul mentions in Galatians. Giving changes the giver and the church. G- giving helps you and me grow. 
And like I've said before, we give not because the church needs to receive. We give because we need to give. A Christian needs to give more than the church needs to receive. We need a lot of changing. The statistics uh, from 2017, which if you're looking in books, that's pretty recent. That's pretty quick to get stuff into a book, only two years. On an average, people spend 32% of their money on housing. And you see the list there. You go on down. Charity, education, and personal growth combine 7%. So charities, including churches, receive somewhere less than 7% of the average person's income. Cliff Christopher says religious organizations receive only about half of what they used to receive. We need a lot of changing. We need a lot of learning. And it's not that I'm standing up here to, please don't hear me say it, it like, if you don't give, you're going to die before you walk out the door. That's not why I preached from that scripture. But we need to be honest, honest with God, spend time with God to say, Lord, what is it? As I, I think a couple of weeks ago, I said, what do we, uh, how much of your gifts are we going to give back to you, God? And come up with an, an amount that is honest with God and with yourself. Like I said to the kids, you don't need to just wake up today and decide, well, I'm going to give 10% of my next paycheck. I'm giving 10% to the church and then on out every day. You're, you're gonna, if you go from zero to 10, you're most likely going to fail. Start at something you can do that you've come to between you and God and work from there. Honesty is the important quality, not amount. It is not important how much you commit to give, only that you have committed honestly after talking to God about it. This is a vehicle, Schnazy continued, or Cliff Christopher continued, a vehicle for greater faith, a way to get to growth in your life, in your heart, in your relationship with Christ. It's really simple. Um, this is from an article called Teaching Children to Give. God made everything and everything is God's. From the book of Genesis on forward, we, we see how God created the earth and therefore everything from that proceeds from that, that great creation. We think about God first, like the Macedonians. Even though they were in trouble, they were poor, they put God first. They followed God's purpose for their life. And then we give to God because we love God. And what Belinda told me to add was that we give to God because we love God and God loved us first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, we give because God loved us first. Generosity shows our commitment to Christ. And as the, the band comes forward and we hear this last song, I'm going to trust that uh, we are able to move this through the congregation. Uh, rather than ask you to walk forward, we're going to pass this basket through. And if you're ready to put your commitment card in, like I just did, please do. Um, 
After the service is over, they will be put in a bag and taken straight to Wendy Sampson's office. This is like Karen reminded you, confidential between you and God. It's not between you and me or you and your neighbor. <coughs> it is between you and your spouse if y'all are working together, okay? Um, so we're going to pass this through in the last um, song. And when it's, when it's made its way all through the congregation, if you want to send it back to the front, I will lead us in a prayer of blessing over it. So let's, well, we got it. <laughs> so let me, let me have a quick word of prayer. Lord, you have given us challenges daily. One of those challenges, Lord, is to be generous, not just with our money, but with our spirit, our heart, our love. But today we ask that you allow us to grow, grow closer to you, be, be more brave and faithful to step out and, and follow your purpose for our life. Bless any effort that these cards represent and let us hear your words as, as we hear this song. In Jesus' name, amen.